to Week in Review, where we recap issues and events pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WNBD News Director Will Stevenson. After some time away from state politics, former Illinois State Treasurer Alexi Janulius was elected this past November to replace the longtime incumbent Jesse White, who spent decades in office. Giannoulias, as of late, has been going to local Secretary of State driver's license facilities to meet with employees and survey how things can be better. The day of his visit to Peoria, Giannoulias spoke with WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. You uh, hold a special spot in our studio, kind of, many years ago. The last time probably we saw you physically, where you were in our studio when we used to have an autograph wall. And you went high. You went high left, and you were prominent because you have a good signature, and you went high left. Unfortunately, we covered you up, but I yeah. think about it every time I look up in the corner. So I, that's how about that? Well, I'd, I'd love to make it back on if that's a possibility. Can you write on carpeting? Because now we've carpeted the wall, so yeah. you're going to have to bring a spray oh, can. And, bring and a spray one other can. thing, Greg and I were talking, because of your position and who you're following, you know you have to hold that office till you're 90. Yes, that's right. Did you know that? I don't think they told well, you that, probably going in. Let me step back that that I cannot write on carpeting, but apparently my 7- and my 5-year-old can. <laughs> <laughs> They're really good at Yeah, they're great. Yeah, their art's awesome. Uh, t- when you ran uh, for Secretary of State, and congratulations on that, by the way. Um, Thank you. you. You said something about corruption. Yes. And right. Dan and I were both puzzled because it didn't seem to me that that office is, is the hotbed of, of corrupt activity necessarily, and certainly not under Mr. White. Uh, what did you mean by that? What I meant was in, in Illinois and, quite frankly, in many parts across the country, uh, people have lost uh, faith in government. They've lost trust in their elected officials. And here in Illinois, not, nothing uh, to do with Jesse White. You know, he took an office that was mired in scandal and corruption and turned yeah. it around. Um, but in general, we want people to feel, feel good again about their elected officials. Um, and I want to restore the public trust. I want to redefine what it means to be a public servant in Illinois. Uh, this includes positioning uh, this office, Secretary of State's office, as a leader in ethics reform by strengthening lobbyist registration guidelines, increasing transparency. My first day in office, I signed the most um, wide-ranging executive ethics uh, package in state government. It's important to send a message that um, you know, people should feel good again about their elected officials. I like that you use the word public servant. We sometimes uh, don't hear it anymore. Uh, we are as much as we used to, and that's the job, man. That's that's why why you step up. And that's and Jesse White said that all along. He was so humble about it. And and the one thing is that uh, the Secretary of State's office under Jesse White to me wasn't political. It wasn't Democrat or Republican. He just served, and I think that's what most voters want. And that's that's where you restore trust. I, I couldn't agree more. This is, you know, in my view, the Secretary of State's office uh, is rooted in customer service. Um, and my goal is to provide everyone in Illinois with the best customer service possible. Um, we have a plan to do this uh, by modernizing the office, transforming operations, expanding services. But I agree. People, you know, uh, just want someone who cares, someone who's going to do the right thing, someone who's in it for the right reasons, and someone who's going to make their lives easier that's what government's meant to do i've always i've always been able to work across the aisle uh, i'm proud of that and the only reason that i ran for this office and the only reason um uh, 
that I wanted to be Secretary of State was to help people. The the office, I, I often feel bad about this. Dan and I share this opinion, so I'll, I'll just be the one that says it. Dan and I are big fans of the local Illinois Secretary of State's office here in Peoria on Sterling. Uh, we, we go there. It's all always efficient. It's always friendly. It's all, all We have people we know that work there or did. And um, yet the DMV is what a lot of people like to call it, is one of the sources of a lot of people's frustration. They, You hear people go, oh, I hate going there because I, I have to do this or I have to wait so long or whatever. I never see it. But it's you. You must know that that feeling is out there. Well, and I, I think part of that too, Greg, is a lot of people show up not having the information they're well, supposed to have. Sure. <laughs> so, so you are in the customer service business. There is no doubt about that. And you're you're a place that by almost almost like um, it becomes uh, cliche to complain about. And so, how do you how do you approach that? How do you make it better? Even though I don't think it needs to be that better, but. Well, um, first of all, we are excited um, to be in Peoria today at the driver service facility, and I want to thank the employees who work so hard there. We have a great, a great team. Um, but, you know, a lot of it comes down to modernization, transforming operations, bringing new technology, and I want to make our facilities among the most customer-centric and accessible in the country, and this includes guys implementing an aggressive modernization plan using technology to overhaul um, uh, and improve customer service and wait times everywhere, including Peoria. And that means things like eventually going, getting to digital IDs, digital driver's license, our skip the line program, which allows people to call ahead and schedule an appointment, uh, the creation of an app. So there's a lot of technology that we're going to bring wow. to the process uh, to make it easier for people to access Secretary of State services. All right. So one in six people in the United States are over the age of 50. <clears throat> you have probably older relatives. And you're like, okay, all you got to do is go online, and you go here, and like, eh, I don't want to do all that. I, can I just call or walk in? I mean, you've got an aging population that doesn't want to sit and go through all these windows in a computer. They would rather call or walk in. So as you have an aging population at the same time trying to modernize it, that's a challenge. Um, so what I say there, because there are a number of, of folks who just like uh, going to the facilities, as you mentioned, they know the people at the facilities, they know the process, that will not change. For those folks who enjoy that process, who want to you know, see someone and talk to someone and get their ID uh, handed to them or their driver's license mailed to them, that's not going to change. What we want to do is, uh, by bringing new technology, and for those who don't want to have to go through that process, they can do it online. Things like electronic car titles, for example, which the state of Illinois has never had. We want to make it easier uh, for people. You know, right now, if, if, uh, if Dan sells me a vehicle, it'll take me about a, a month to get that title. We want to do it so that title can be in that person's hand in 30 minutes. By, by modernizing the office, the lines that, that folks are, uh, are waiting in at the facilities will be shortened because there'll be less people sure. there. It's pretty simple. Hey, uh, uh, real quick, we don't have a lot of time. I want to touch on two things real quick. You mentioned something I didn't know was a, a possibility, a uh, digital driver's license. Is is that something that will be uh, with us shortly? Yeah, it's going to it's gonna happen eventually. Other states uh, already have it. Um, so basically, you pull up your phone, your driver's license, or your ID mm-hmm. uh, will be on there. It nice. helps us uh, update um, information virtually. Other, you know, the state of Arizona, for example, now has is the ninth state to have their 
uh, IDs, the driver's license on the Apple Wallet. So when you go to board a plane, everything's on on your phone. That's good. Your boarding pass, your your license. Yeah. Does it work on a flip phone? It does not, Danny. I'll answer that. I'll, answer, I'll, I'll take that question. And, and finally, uh, Secretary, what about uh, what about real ID? That keeps getting pushed around or pushed back uh, for various reasons. What is the latest with that? So it got pushed back another two years. You know, so people have time. I would tell you that um, we encourage people to get it done. Um, sooner rather than later, one less thing to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do it at the facilities. It's a pretty simple process. Um, I encourage folks to get it done sooner rather than do, later. Do you believe that will go digital as well? Um, that's more of a federal uh, federal issue, but yeah, I do think I think okay. everything's headed that way. Well, uh, welcome back to town. It's good to talk to you. Uh, the Secretary of State, Alexei Janilius, will be out at the facility today. Uh, he'll be the one taking your picture between the hours of uh, noon <laughs> and two. On the that would be funny. That would be so funny if you manned a camera for a while. That would be great. You should yeah. do that. That'd be uh, good. Uh, I would. I believe me. I would love to do that. <laughs> hey, it's good to talk to you. Uh, safe travels. Talk to you. You too, guys. Have a great day. Thank you. More Week in Review coming up. Tazewell County has an important history related to a few Civil War-era pieces of history, the end of slavery and Abraham Lincoln. Tazewell County Clerk John Ackerman talks about all that with WMBD's Craig Collins. This is kind of a a topic that people are, are for some reason, uh, winding up very interested in. It was President's Day. The saga of Abraham Lincoln's body is there's so many, like, snakes to this, right? Yeah. Okay. You would think you die, you get buried, and it's over with, and not with Lincoln. It stretches on for decades. Okay, so uh, I think there's three different areas we want to focus on here. Uh, Those are the reemergence of the the embalming uh, process in Lincoln. Uh, There's the... uh, public displays that happen with the body and then the attempts to steal the body uh, where do you want to start you want to go with the embalming first yeah okay. uh, embalming wasn't uh, a, a frequent process uh, bef- during, uh before lincoln's time gotcha. um it was known and it was around it just wasn't done you, you died and you were buried and we're, we're done with it sure um Embalming really took off in the Civil War because you have all these Union officers that are dead on the battlefield in Atlanta. How do we get them back home to New York? Well, you know, so they brought back the, after reviewing the Egyptians and how they embalmed bodies, Mm -hmm. the doctor started to bring back the idea of embalming. Um, Now with Lincoln, when his son Willie dies, um, the family is grief-ridden by the death. Uh, They have Willie embalmed, um, and they're not going to bury him because they don't want him in Washington, D.C. They're going to come back and live their lives out in Springfield, Illinois. So we want to take Willie with us. And while they're grief-stricken, Lincoln is known to have gone and opened up the casket to view his son and then talk with his son throughout the war as he was riddled with grief. Um, So you do have this different mentality of, well, since he's there, let's just open it up and talk with him. And sure. that's different than how we view bodies today. Yes, um, yes, very, very different than how we view bodies today. Um, why was there so much demand to see Lincoln's body? I mean, obviously, he was a, a very important president. But why was this, like, I think you described it in a message to me, sort of like a rock tour, uh, the amount of people, <laughs> the amount of places that wound up getting displayed? Why was that uh, in such high demand? Well, Mary Todd Lincoln wanted Lincoln's body. There's a fight immediately after he dies over what we're going to do mary todd his wife wants the body taken directly from dc to springfield we're going to bury him it's done it's all private sure 
Secretary of War Edwin Stanton's going, no, he belongs to the nation now. He, the entire nation needs to mourn, and I want to show the nation what they did to our president. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's the one really pressing for the length of this. This ordeal, this train procession that they designed, it takes over three weeks. It wow. covers uh, 1,700 miles. It covers seven states. And like a rock tour, like we were talking, there's 10 city stops in which we're going to pull Lincoln wow. off the train, his bu- casket, prop it up in the city square, and open the casket up for the crowds to come through and see the president. Sure. So two and a half weeks after he's assassinated, they're cracking the casket open and having people proceed by to take a look. You know, it's sort of surreal to think about uh, the way in which in today's society we want, like, video to come out very quickly uh, when things happen. And at that time, since you don't have any of that technology stuff, this was the way that you could see it, yeah. uh, that you would go show up at one of the cities on the tour, as odd as that sounds to say, and you would see um, what happened to Abraham Lincoln, uh, President Lincoln, uh, was were these like incredibly well attended things? Oh, absolutely! It is estimated that over a half a million people viewed Lincoln's body and the casket during the ten, uh, ten city stop. Wow! Uh, they estimate that a third of the United States population at the time observed the casket as was passing on the train uh, as it went. The train never traveled any faster than twenty miles per hour. They cleared the tracks at night. People wow. lit bonfires all along the train tracks to keep the route lit. Um, people wanted to come out and view Lincoln's casket on the train as it proceeded. But, yeah, when the times when they opened the casket up at those 10 cities, you, oh, yeah, no, it was packed full of people wanting to see it. Yeah, um, it's interesting. And um, other than that, you said that there were two other kind of uh, shocking moments within this trip, uh, two attempts to steal uh, Lincoln's body. Well, that was after he's buried in okay. Oak Ridge Cemetery. Gotcha. Um Decades later, in, in 18... I don't know why I envision like people riding up on horses and boarding the train and trying to take the body. That's what that's what I thought might have been happening. No, there. no, no. Okay, um, there wasn't like a gunfight at some point. No, okay. No, in 1876, there is a counterfeiter. Now you have to remember the Secret Service originally was not to protect the president. The Secret Service's mission was to rid the nation of counterfeiting to protect mm-hmm. the American dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, as such, that's so as we continue forward here, that's what their job is. There's a counterfeiter in Chicago. His name was James Big Jim Keneally. And sure, he, uh, his counterfeiter, his, mm-hmm. his, his craftsman, has been arrested. So he comes up with the idea let's steal Lincoln's body, let's hold it for ransom so that they get my engraver out of prison. Wow. And uh, I also want $200,000 in cash, the equivalent of $2 million today. Do you think those ideas were inspired by the fact that you took the body on a 10-city, 7-state tour, and they thought, okay, maybe this is more valuable uh, than a typical um, you know, body of a president? I don't well, know, we know how to say that. that. The cash part came because they were redoing Lincoln's tomb, and that was the cost. So if the public can pay that much for a tomb, gotcha. they can pay that much back for the body. Sure. Um, but as far as the 10-day wow. tour, I think that, that there's enough time there in between that they've been surpassed. Sure. Yeah, I just I know. I was just wondering if that's the inspiration to even go after Lincoln specifically. Be like, you know, that guy had a great tour just a little <laughs> while ago. Maybe we maybe we go try to find that body. Um, okay, so Big Jim tries to seal the body. Yep. How does that go? How do they fail? Well, he goes to Lincoln, Illinois, and he's got a friend that runs a pub, and he hires him to get the whole plan moving ahead because he's trying to keep his distance between him and the, the crime itself. So then this guy comes up with the idea that he'll buy a pub in Springfield, Illinois, and set up shop there and hire some local guys to help him do this. So in the spring of 1876, as a matter of fact, they pick July the 3rd as the date in which they're going to launch this caper. Um, 
the plan was is to steal Lincoln's body, and his plan was to take it to Lincoln, where he still got his pub there. Sure. We'll uh, set Lincoln's casket until we get our ransom money in my beer cave. You know, you kept your beer ca- cold in <laughs> caves back then. So, yeah, Lincoln's sure. going to a beer yeah. cave in Lincoln, Illinois was wow. the plan. I wonder if anybody on the plan was like, this doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> We're going to put it where? In the beer cave? Yeah, I don't know about that. That seems well, wrong. Well, two weeks before the caper, this is where it all falls apart. Mm-hmm. The guy he hires goes to visit all the brothels, and he's bragging at the brothels about, uh, yeah, I'm going to have a lot of money soon because I'm going to steal Lincoln's body. Wow. And one of the housekeepers decides, well, now that doesn't seem right, so she went to the sheriff, and the sheriff arrests them for uh, the attempt to, you know, the planning of this. Wow, that is a heck of a story. All right, I can't believe there's a second story uh, you have in an attempt to steal the body. Uh, I guess that's a lesson learned for anybody out there that wants to steal Evidently uh, something. Evidently not, they made a second attempt, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> right. I, no, but what I'm saying is the lesson learned is you shouldn't brag at the brothel if you're going to commit a crime, I guess. Uh, this is good to know for anyone. Anyway, anyway okay, so that, that obviously fails. They arrest some people. There's a second attempt. What happens there? Well, Big Jim's not arrested because you know <laughs> he, he's kept his sure. distance. No, nobody would turn on Big Jim. Oh, yeah. So right. he decides to launch a second attempt, and he's going to run this one out of Chicago. And their plan was to take Lincoln's body and bury it in the sand dunes of Lake Michigan. Wow. Um, and that's where they'd hold it. So they're not, at least he's not going to a beer cave. Now right. he's going to the sand dunes. I don't so. know if that's better, actually, but continue. <laughs> so this plot is found out by the Secret Service. A uh, tip comes into their Indiana, Indianapolis office. They mm-hmm. relay it to the Chicago office, and the gentleman in charge of the Secret Service in Chicago relays it to Robert Lincoln, Todd Lincoln, his only son that's still surviving, mm-hmm. that is a lawyer in Chicago. Well, he brings in the former head of the uh, Secret Service, who's been let go now, and they're dis- discussing it. And well, we need to let the plan go on so that we can arrest and put these people behind bars. Yeah. So they decide. They're going to hire additionally some of Pinkerton, Alan Pinkerton's men, private detectives, and let's go down to Springfield and let's uh, let, let's let this whole thing proceed so that we can get them. So there's an interesting thing. They pick election day, November seventh, as the day for the uh, crime to take place. Wow. The night before, there's an interesting scene in which the gang that's been assembled to steal the body mm-hmm. and the gang of law enforcement that's been hired now to protect it are both boarding the same train from Chicago to Springfield <laughs> at the midnight wow. train so sure. that they could get into Springfield to commit this crime. So they're both on the same train, probably setting separate cars away from each this other. This sounds like a movie. Uh, <laughs> it's, if it's not a movie, it should be a movie. Uh, does anything happen on the train? Not on the train. Okay, but, that's uh, a shame. The next day they launch their caper. The law enforcement setting in, in, it's in the middle of the night again. They're mm-hmm. sitting in the cemetery waiting. The criminals get all the way up, and they're picking the lock. They've broken through the lock to the tomb. Sure. They get in. They start with a crowbar busting open the sarcophagus that Lincoln is sitting in, uh, laying in, and they manage to break it. Well, at some point, they're tipped off to the activities, and the law enforcement, as they approach, one of their guns go off. Well, that notes the criminals what's happening. So they all sure. run off, and there is actually a running chase through Oak Ridge Cemetery as the criminals are attempting to get away, and law wow. enforcement's apprehending them. Wow, that is that's amazing. That's I, I can't even fathom uh, anything like that being something that could happen today. And obviously not. Uh, I'm glad that nothing like that would happen today. But that's it's just amazing uh, the desire there. Does Big Jim get arrested this time? Then is this he time he gets arrested okay. and pinched for it. He does some time in prison. So sure. does the gang. Um, gotcha. But this wow. is just the beginning, though, of moving. Lincoln's body after it's buried. More of Craig Collins' conversation with Tazewell County Clerk John Ackerman when Week in Review continues. We continue now with Craig Collins' discussion about Tazewell County history with Tazewell County Clerk 
John Ackerman. We have one more thing to talk about. Um, we've talked about how Abraham Lincoln's body uh, was attempted to be stolen twice by some guy named Big Jim out of Chicago. Uh, we talked about how it went on a rock tour um, at one point. Now we're going to talk about the amount of times it was moved. Was this all to protect it from people that were also trying to steal it? Yes and no. Um, okay. So they, I told you they broke the sarcophagus open. So the grounds crew gets there and they realize we just can't have the sarcophagus broke open and there's the casket. Sure. So we got to yeah. do something. Mm-hmm. So they decide they're going to take Lincoln to the bottom of the Lincoln's tomb to the basement and we'll put him in the basement. And they attempted to dig a shallow grave to bury it, but then the water table was too high. It was too much moisture, so we can't do that. Well, wow. let's just, we can't have a casket just sitting in the basement. So I know what we'll do. There's a pile of garbage over there, broken wood chips and two-by-fours and, and unused paper. Let's put it in a corner and then pile all that on top of it to hide it, to camouflage <laughs> sure. it. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Which yeah. may have worked, but sure. then they forgot that they did that. So Lincoln <laughs> wow. sat down there for almost two years buried in garbage, forgotten about wow. that he was, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I've done spring cleaning at times in my home. I've never accidentally found a, a casket like that. That's got to be amazing. Well, at that point in 1878, they decided, well, now we got to dig a shallow grave. So mm-hmm. they dig that and they place him there. And then when the public finds out about this, they start receiving threats again. Well, he's not really in there. We stole the body. Well, now we've got to dig him up, and we've got to make sure he's still there. So wow. they dig him up and open the casket to make sure that he's in there. He's still there, so they lock it back up and put it back in the basement again. Um, cover it with trash again. Sure, not, no, gotcha. this time they didn't cover it with trash. <laughs> they just put him back there. Good. Then they came up with this plan that they were going to brick him in, so they bricked him into the basement. Mm-hmm. And then in uh, 1882, Mary Todd dies, so her casket gets placed there. And, well, now let's put them both back upstairs where they should be, so they sure. moved them up there. In total, when this is all said and done, um, in 1900 is the last time that he's moved, and Robert's tired of this, going, yeah, sure. I want him somewhere where he's not. <laughs> yeah, please. We're, we're done with this. I really don't want this to be an every few years thing, yes. So he he's the one that determines that they're going to dig a pit. It's 10 feet deep in the middle of Lincoln's tomb, mm-hmm. and we're going to put him in a steel cage, the casket in a steel cage, in the 10-foot pit. Wow. And we're going to bury it under 4,000 tons of concrete. Mm-hmm. Um But before we get to that point, let's make sure he's in there one more time. (laughs) So in September 26, 1901, Mm -hmm. they had everything prepped. The crew, there were 36 individuals present, or 23 people present, sorry. Mm -hmm. And they decide we're going to crack the casket open one more time to make sure Lincoln's still in there. Wow. There just happened to be walking through the cemetery playing a 14-year-old boy named Fleetwood Lindley. And they invite him over, hey, you got to come see that. This is... This is the last time anybody's ever going to see this. Come on. Sure. So they bring him over, and they all take a look, and there's Lincoln. And they, with the embalming and with it being brand new, they used very powerful embalming fluid where we dilute it now. Uh, so when they open it, Lincoln is still there. His face wow. has gotten bronzed. Um, the hair on the mole on his this chin. This is in 1901? Yes. The hair on the mole on his chin is still there. Wow. They find this mysterious material on his chest which is red white and blue and they later realize that's the american flag that was placed on him that has disintegrated into little bits wow but his facial features are still so strong yeah. well that's amazing so they close him back up and they they bury him uh, into mm-hmm. the concrete he is still firmly secured there good. um good in 1963 on february 1st uh fleetwood lindley dies 
he is the last person in 1963. He's the last living person that would have seen Lincoln's face, the facial features of Abraham Lincoln. Wow. Um, that's 98 years after yeah. he was assassinated. Yeah, almost um, 100 years. Uh, that's that's amazing. Uh, in the, total, they moved his body 17 times and opened the casket up to make sure he was there five times. Sure. He went on a rock tour. And he was yeah. almost uh, <laughs> stolen twice. That's that is when you when you told me you're like, I have some stories about Abraham Lincoln's body. I'm like, I, well, I don't know. Can we fill a half an hour of radio with that? Yes. We probably could have gone quite a bit longer. Uh, thank you, John, for hanging out, for yeah. telling us all that. Um, real quick, I wanted to ask you one other thing, and I know we're late. we got to get Will to do some news. Uh, were you guys given an award, uh, the Tazewell County Recorder of Deeds Division? Yeah. Our office is the first in the state of Illinois to have digitized and preserved all of our military discharge records, going all the way back to we have 980 from the Civil War. Yeah. And we've got them on a website where individuals can go and look, and the uh, Illinois State Historical Society is giving us a, a historical preservation award for being the wow. first county in the state to take this undertaking and they're hoping that it leads as an example for others to follow yeah wow that's both an award for you individually and an award for your uh, your group i remember when you came in and talked about uh, undertaking all that and how cool it is how easy it is uh, to go look that stuff up online uh, thanks again for coming out uh, man a big figure skating competition is going on in peoria this weekend the u.s figure skating 2023 u.s synchronized skating championship is playing this weekend at the Peoria Civic Center Carver Arena. There are a lot of sold-out hotel rooms because of the event, as J.D. Delfonso from Discover Peoria tells WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. Before we get to this big event, give me 30 seconds on your thoughts of the proposed or the hotel that's going to happen down on Sol- uh, where Sully's is. Yeah, uh, real quick uh, in that sense, um, you know, I was actually just in Indianapolis a couple weeks ago for their annual meeting, and you know, they're talking about all the conventions they're coming in, and I'm not comparing ourselves to Indianapolis. Sure. But one of the things I did see was they have 4,000 hotel rooms attached to their convention center. Wow. wow. It's an impressive statistic, right? And yeah. so when I see, saw this, uh, this proposal, uh, what I thought of was, boy, that's another opportunity for guests, visitors, people doing business to be in walking distance to the convention center. Yeah, just a and block and a half away, yeah. Perfect. Walking half away, and when it, when you look at the room supply for uh, city of Peoria and in our region, you know uh, a few extra hotel rooms, particularly in that walking distance, can benefit. We'd yeah. be able to promote and sell that hotel yeah. in, in the best of our. That's beautiful. All right, so people aren't realizing, but there's an event. maybe they haven't been paying attention. Maybe they heard about it when it was announced, and then it bubbled around, and they forgot about it. But it's an event that is going to bring a lot of folks to our community. Tell us what it is. Yeah, we have the United States uh, uh, Synchronized uh, Skating figure, figure Skating Championships. It's the national championships uh, for U.S. figure skating and synchronized skating. Uh, really impressive. It, it, it is, you know, uh, as I've told some people, at a time in which we were typically gearing up for a, you know, a state basketball tournament, we've now filled uh, an opportunity for a national championship, uh, bringing people from coast to coast uh, to Peoria, including Peoria in the math in that sense, and and so with that comes people, teams, family members from across the country that are going to be filling our hotel rooms. And so far, as I look at the statistics, uh, hotel rooms are being filled uh, significantly. So we're, we're proud from the, from the success out of the gate and really looking forward to putting Fiori on the, on the national map again. And what's cool about this, unlike a lot of other events, and it's fine to do things on the weekend, but this one runs Wednesday through Saturday. So you've got, you've got people in town during the week, which is great. Oh, yeah. Yes, uh, they got to get in early. They got to practice, and they got to compete uh, throughout. So this is going to be utilizing 
uh, multiple sheets of ice, uh, and then uh, filling the hotel rooms. I'm looking at the stats right in front of me, guys. You know, we just cracked 3,300 hotel rooms booked uh, <laughs> for, for that, and and you we break it down by by area. But you know, you look at you can pick any room rate you want. You you multiply that. That's where you start getting this this significant economic impact that we always talk about. It's right here in front of us. 3,300, 3,300 hotel rooms over a three- or four-day period. Plus, they're using Owen Center. They're using the Veterans Arena down at Pekin. Uh, so yeah. the restaurants, gas stations, uh, convenience stores, all the stuff that goes along with that. They're I'd, putting ice in the Pear Marquette lobby. Yes, in the, in no. the lobby of the Pear Marquette. <laughs> exactly. We're going to have ice at the radio station. Ice everywhere. Uh, hey. I'm so proud of this. And uh, congratulations to uh, your group and all that you've done to help make this happen. And it's every, uh, here's what I always say. When these big groups come to town, man, many of them, this will be the first time they've ever been to our town. Everybody be cool. Everybody be cool. Help them. Uh, when they can't find some, their way somewhere, give them directions. Drive them. I don't care what you do. Make them feel like they want to come back. That's exactly the last point I was going to make, Greg. So you took it and, and just really get to give us an opportunity to showcase our Midwest hospitality. And I think we're all excited to do that. And we'll be we'll have a really success, successful event with it. Yeah, I can't so, wait. All right, brother. Thanks. Talk to you later. That's J.D. Delfonso, Discover Peoria. You can check out their website for all the things going on. But the 2023 U.S. Synchronized Skating Championships. Saturday was the last day of the figure skating championships, but I thought it was important to bring you the interview to know how much of a big deal this event was. More Week in Review coming up. A former Illinois lawmaker and legislative assistant is taking on a new but comfortable role. Former Springfield Area State Representative Tim Butler once worked in then-Congressman Ray LaHood's office as the Peoria Republican's assistant. These days, Butler has become president of the Illinois Railroad Association. Butler's keeping a close eye on the situation in East Palestine, Ohio, where derailment spilled toxic chemicals and caused myriad other problems. Butler talks with WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. This is uh, an interesting way to start a new career uh, right away when you have a big, a big story like this in well, the industry. But what's very interesting, coming from his background as a lawmaker, there's a lot of focus on the length of this train. There are no federal regulations. This was a 150-car train. And in the railroad biz, Tim knows this now because he's in it, uh, the longer the train, the heavier the train. And they're finding out with these longer trains, the wear and tear on the tracks and the joints and all that is uh, increasing much more rapidly with these long trains. So they're talking about regulation, maybe no freight train over 100 or 110. They're banding all this about. And, Tim, uh, uniquely in your position, having been a lawmaker and now part of the industry, what are you hearing? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks, guys, for having me on. And, and for, for those my friends in Peoria who don't know, I, I left the General Assembly at the end of the year and have been with the president of the Illinois Railroad Association since January 1. And, you know, the, the incident that happened in Ohio is, is a terrible, terrible incident that, that no one wants to see. Certainly uh, the citizens and the community don't want to see that. Uh, the railroad, Norfolk Southern, certainly doesn't want to see it. Uh, but I think it underscores... Certainly, like you guys talked about, the importance of safety in the industry. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about that. I think, to your point, 
Danny, about train length. There's been a lot of discussion about train length over the past uh, several years. Uh, and that's, that's something that I think we're going to continue to talk about uh, as it goes forward to see to see what the right path forward is. And and one of the things with, with increased train length also means that, you know, you're delivering the goods and services that people want. And in a time when we've talked a lot about the supply chain in this country being disrupted coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, railroads, railroads provide a lot of the transportation for the goods and services that we use every day. And to get those two folks on time uh, and to get it where they need to go, certainly that's one of the reasons we've seen longer trains over the years. But I, I think, I think this, is, this is a discussion that's going to continue both on the federal and state level for a long time, probably after this incident, and probably rightly so. I mean, there's a lot of things uh, that need to be discussed here, and, and, and we'll see, we'll see what, what government and what, what industry does to, to change things moving forward. What's interesting to me as uh, as this story has unfolded, and then you and I spoke yesterday on the phone, is it, it dawned on me how little we, the general public, thinks about trains, with the exception of getting stopped by one. I I never stopped to think. Well, what is the what is the role that, as you just mentioned, with the supply chain issues? Uh, what is the role of moving hazardous materials around our country? We certainly do that, and uh, I think probably the average person's feelings about train transportation is based out of movies or tvs and it may it may it may be like antiquated well i might have an antiquated feeling about all of I, in fact i think i'm sure i do so tell me the the scope of of train uh, uh transportation as far as goods and services uh, what's the track record when it comes to hazardous material and etc yeah, I think first of all, I, I mean, Craig, you make a great point. A lot of people have a have a romantic opinion yeah. of railroads, and, and rightly so. Uh, they think of you know the Polar Express or the or the steam engines, you know, the code, you know, they know the movies and stuff like that. But I think the transportation industry, not just in rail, but across the board. I mean, look what I mean. You guys know. Uh, I mean, the the increase in truck transportation dramatically that we've seen over the last few decades barge traffic, everything, air cargo, to be honest with you, it's probably a lot different if you don't work in the industry because you don't think about it every day. In the in the rail industry, yeah, we, we transport a lot of these hazardous chemicals because rail is a very safe way to do that. Certainly this incident, again, underscores the need to continue to take a look at it. But, but in Illinois, uh, which is literally number one, in the nation when it comes to freight railroads and the fact that we have all seven class ones and everything kind of comes together in Chicago when it comes to rail in the country. Uh, we didn't have a single release of hazardous chemicals in Illinois last year. And I think that's, that's a good thing. It underscores the, the track record of mm-hmm. safety. 99.99% of hazardous materials that get transported do it safely. Um, but but again, that doesn't stop from taking a look at this. And I think people are going to understand probably more about the railroad industry. What gets tra- Literally everything probably you touch every day has at one point been transported on, on rail. Uh, and a lot of people don't think about that. No, we don't. Um, am I right uh, that I read that Norfolk Southern and freight trains can't turn down carrying hazardous material? That's- you got it right, Danny. It's called the common carrier provision. It's part of our our, our national you know charge as as railroads that when a you know when a chemical company calls 
calls up one of the railroads and say, hey, we want to transport whatever material, uh, we are pretty much bound to transport that material. And beyond that, there are a lot of rigorous regulations and laws and communications that go around that transportation. Uh, it's not like this just this stuff just gets you know dropped into a, a train car and just, just gets shipped across the country. There's there's a lot of rules and regulations that go around it. Uh, I think I was reading some stuff yesterday. There's there's basically six federal sets of laws that oversee you know hazardous material transportation and things like that. So. This is certainly something that, you know, this has been going on for a very long time. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of regulation around it. There's the rail industry is one of the most regulated in the in the country. Um, and so there is a lot of safety features that go into it. I would say beyond that, um, getting to know these rail companies, um, their safety is at the forefront of what they put into their DNA every day. Um, and certainly, again, no one wants to see an, you know, this terrible accident that happened in East Palestine, but, but safety is something that is talked about every day with these railroads, and, and obviously there's going to be a larger emphasis on it going forward. Yeah, it's, uh, it's wild that uh, we're talking to you about this, because we've known you for years as a lawmaker and a part of the, state, uh, the General Assembly, uh, taking over January 1. This happens, uh, what, two weeks ago or whatever it was. Uh, immediately now we're having I, I, when I called you yesterday I was like uh, can we talk I didn't even know if you were ready yet I didn't even know if you had actually started hey I, I do want to make clear yeah. the Illinois uh, you're the president of the Illinois Railroad Association but that is all uh, cargo that's not passenger right right so so we advocate for the freight rail industry in Illinois okay. um, so there's seven there's seven big the class one railroads are basically the railroads that haul stuff across the country. So you think of the Union Pacifics and the CSX and the sure. Southerns, uh, those folks. Uh, and then you've got what are called short line or regional railroads, which, which may only run a few miles or, or may run across the state that haul, that haul materials or connect between the, uh, the big class one railroads. And so in total, in Illinois, we have about almost 50 freight railroads when you look at everything. And, but that doesn't mean we don't work with the passenger folks. Uh, most of the passenger rail uh, in the state of Illinois and, mo- and mostly in the country runs on private freight rail tracks. And again, yeah. these are, you know, the, the freight, freight company that, that's private property uh, and they're, it's a private company. But we work very closely with, with not just Amtrak, but with Metra in the Chicago area uh, to transport a lot of commuters and passengers every single day. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest Communications Station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in central Illinois. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and at 1470WMBD.com. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD News.